Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. What does your email inbox look like each day? If you're like me, your inbox is flooded with outbound prospecting emails. Email communication is not going away. Instead, I'm guessing we will continue to see even more targeted email approaches. So how do you cut through the noise and improve response rates? In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Will Allred, COO and co-founder of Lavender, shares his top three tips to improve email effectiveness and also shares what he sees revenue teams doing right and doing wrong when it comes to emails. Lavender is an email assistant that combines AI and reply optimization to help improve revenue outcomes. And who doesn't want that? So please take a listen to this episode with Will and learn what you can start doing today to improve your email communication. Excited to be here today with Will Allred, the co-founder and COO of Lavender. For those of you who may not be familiar with Lavender, Lavender is an email assistant that helps you write better emails faster. Lavender combines AI recommendations and reply optimization with other tools to help you maximize your chances of receiving a better outcome. So welcome, Will, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to learn more about you and about Lavender. Yeah, well, hey, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate the invite. It's um, it's fun that this is like like the first time I think we've ever met, which is always kind yeah. of <laughs> it's always fun. And I, I think we've interacted on different communities and see each other on social all the time. Yep. And so it's great. I'm super excited to just kind of unpack your story and learn more about you and about the company. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with how Lavender was founded. Right. So oftentimes, you know, companies are founded when someone's trying to solve a problem or there's some kind of like aha moment. And I understand that there was sort of this catalyst for you with COVID and the pandemic. So can you share the story of how you and your co-founder, William Balance, met and what that journey looked like to decide to start Lavender? Yeah, I, I love the the COVID call out. I mean, <laughs> um, I'm probably worth calling out that uh, one missing one other founder, Casey, who's our CTO. Oh, um, he's a little less public facing. But I met Will four years ago at a hackathon in Atlanta, um, and Will and I met Casey about a year after that. And so we were working on a completely different company before Lavender. Uh, Will pitched this idea at TechStars Startup Weekend in Atlanta. Uh, we ended up hitting it off, and we won the competition. So uh, you're familiar with like Crystal Nose, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, personality angle for sales, we were doing a very similar play, but for marketing teams. So you'd put in a customer list and we would tell you, hey, here's how your customer actually thinks. And the idea was this would fuel how you'd go about reaching out and responding. Um, So we really were founding this on this basis of neuroscience, psychology. I had spent the last like three years at a consulting firm 
boutique firm, former McKinsey consultants, some Apple execs, and we were focused on marketing strategy. We acted like an outsourced CML. Uh, spent a ton of time in systems design, bringing like different strategies to life, PBS, CenturyLink, startups like a Primo and E2Open. But you know, with that time on the ground, I saw this huge need for actually understanding how you should reach out and having a reason for why you reached out the way that you did. Um, a lot of what we saw in the marketing world was guesswork. And so we tried to build out sort of for like two years, worked with some amazing clients like Gravity Blankets, Yamaha. And, but the issue is we didn't really have that product market fit yet. We, we were having success, but it just wasn't quite like that, you know, crazy growth trajectory that like you expect to see with startups. And so right at the start of like 2020, we started toying around with content analytics and it comes back to a story with a client who probably said it better than I ever could, which was uh, first it started with, I hate your product, <laughs> which is always a great place to come from. Um, but you know, she starts going off, but you've built these tools to help me speak to these segments. I don't get measured on the persona. I'm getting measured on what I'm actually getting measured on. And so we really leaned into that. We took the content tools and we started attaching them to the things that this person is getting measured against, return on ad spend. Um, we started to see some really interesting trends um, in, in complexity in particular. Um, complexity of the writing was like severely impacting ad performance. And spoiler alert, um, complexity is like a huge drain on email reply rates. And so TLDR, we like doubled their return on ad spend. We were planning to go like gangbusters with this product and then COVID hits. Mm. And so <laughs> I'm up in New York City, it's like early March. Our pipeline is like dropping, like oh. flies. And we're in the Entrepreneur Center at NYU. And Will pulls up this article from TechCrunch about LinkedIn shutting down Sales Navigator and Gmail. And so we, the, the original thought was like super simple. Lavender would be like this cash cow that we'd launch on like product hunt and it would buy us some time. Mm. And, you know, we teased content analytics tool on the backside, like, hey, look what we can do with your email. We've got this really cool tech. We can do um, more than just like show you information on the person that you're talking to. But yeah, listen, it turned out that was a pretty good idea. <laughs> uh, so we spent the summer finding who we'd sell to. Uh, first group we went after, you know, start of COVID was job seekers. Yeah, mm -hmm. tons of folks losing their job. Uh, I, I remember uh, my now wife, she was like, you know, I think it was Airbnb posted the um, like listings of all the folks and like their resumes who had like gotten let go. I was like going through reaching out to the form <laughs> one by one. They're like, hey, this could help you. And, you know, it, it's funny because like we still offer the product up for free. If anyone's like seeking a job or like you're a student, it's just one of those things that we've like, yeah. one of the nice things that we could do that like, came out of this whole thing. But yeah, we looked at HR, recruiting, um, looked at some interesting work within like the internal comm space. We were the classic startup with something cool and nobody to sell it to. <laughs> and so we were like trying to figure out like who actually has this pain. And we finally landed on sales, which is what we're known for today. But it all started when Nick Bennett over at Alice, he, he posted like a, a simple like, 
hey, check out this tool that I found. It's super cool. All of a sudden, sellers are not only like flooding us, but like they're posting about us mm -hmm. and like talking about how cool the tool is like that. And, you know, of course, there's nuance in between tough decisions to be made when you're pivoting a business. But, yeah, by and large, that's how we got here. Uh, we've only been building for sales use case for, I don't know exactly, probably like 11 months. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've been making some tremendous like um, tremendous progress. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're probably the only technology company out there right now that's really focused on better email, not just like sending more email. Right. Right. Got it. Yeah, I love Nick. Uh, Nick and I worked yeah. together um, previously. And so definitely in a lot of different communities and love the fact that he has a uh, kind of had a play in your story. Yeah, no, it's, um, I was just gonna say, like the LinkedIn sort of sales universe has played like a crazy role in our story. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Lavender, like you said, has been in business now for about a year. Um, you know, when the business really started to take shape, are there things that you've now learned that have really surprised you? Um, you know, maybe from talking to prospects and to sort of others in the industry? Um, so I mentioned all the other avenues that we tried to go down at <laughs> yeah. the start of the summer. <laughs> My biggest surprise was probably the fact that this hadn't been done yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm kind of kidding, but it's wild how pervasive bad email writing is. Like 70% of sales emails are like off the charts too complicated. And it's having like a huge impact on reply rates. And so salespeople are out there. They're craving the answers on how to get better. Um, yeah, we actually just recently sponsored a, a JB sales webinar. And um, yeah, they shared with us who joined and you think a webinar on cold email, you know, what, what role would you imagine is the number one thing to sign up? SDRs? Yeah. And the amount of managers who signed up <laughs> for that webinar was off the charts. And it's not just because like, you know, the demand is there from SDRs and like the SDRs are trying to learn, like learn how to get better. You know, they're lacking that feedback on how to improve, you know, these reps are like trying to ask questions and managers don't necessarily have the answers. So the demand's there. People want to learn how to get better. Email is lacking in that like feedback. You know, I'm on a cold call with you. Like I can see like how your face is responding, yeah. you know, what you're thinking, how you're, you know, coming back to me with objections, cold email, like one to 5%, like you're going to get a response on average. The rest of it's just silence and crickets. And so like, yeah, reps get in their own heads like nobody's business. It's, yeah, how do I follow up? How should I reach out? Did, was it like my value prop didn't hit? Like what, what are the things that I'm missing here? They have so many questions. And meanwhile, managers are coming from this time when the answer was volume. And that is no longer the case. Um, and there hasn't been a tool to help answer this for reps. And there hasn't been a tool for managers to answer the process of how to even go about answering those questions. And so, you know, as, as you know, like email is this sneaky communication platform in that it is the backbone of every single deal. You know, you want to talk like RevOps, like email is that backbone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From start to you know, renewal, email is going to play a role. It's no longer like cold calls and stuff. Yeah. I, I love to talk like cold email because yeah, you know, it gets clicks and like general like uh, awareness for what we're doing. Um, I'm certainly not ashamed of that, 
But you know, it only scratches the surface of the email challenge that folks are having. I mean, some of our biggest clients are, they've never actually even written a cold email within our product. They use it for everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest surprise is the facts, the, the fact that salespeople didn't really have the answer and they haven't had the good answer until now. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think with, you know, especially with the shift for more people working remotely, right? Email has become an even bigger part of prospecting than ever before. It's tougher to reach people via an office phone or even dropping by an office in person, um, you know, which you used to be able to do no longer. So I guess what are some of the things that you see, you know, marketing and sales teams doing wrong when it comes to email sends? Um, is there a, like a long there's, list? There's a lot. It's funny. You say sales and marketing. Um, you know, marketing, having a role in sales has probably had some impact. Um, depending on your source, you know, outbound has been like crazy inflated recently. Um, yeah, especially email. Yes. I think. Uh, your former group, Clary, they posted that like sales outbound was up uh, like 16%, but like email replies were down 8%. So like, yeah, the answer is clearly not like sending more. Right. Um, it's not going to help you. Um, you know, the biggest thing that they're getting wrong in this equation is the, the mindset of the buyer. The buyer's in like triage because they've got like 16% more emails in their inbox. And they're like, okay, well now I've got to 60% more, yeah, you'd think like maybe, okay, like response rate stays the same, it's somewhere around there, but like we shut down, we hit this level of, um, you know, cognitive load, we're just like, all right, too much, hands up, I quit, yeah. right? And, you know, I, I talk about inbox triage all the time because most sellers, marketers, what have you, are not approaching email from the process in which you're actually going through your inbox. Like, um, yeah, tell me if this sounds familiar. You land in your inbox, you look for the names that you recognize, you look for the threads that you recognize, yep. and then there's like a big mess of everything else. <laughs> like subject lines are almost like, it's kind of amazing, right? Yep. Um, yeah, you're moving through a glorified to-do list. Um, so most emails fail to recognize that this process is occurring. Um, yeah, the, yeah, say you get through the, the scanning of like the overall inbox, you get that open. What what most people don't realize is like the average amount of time someone's going to read your email is 11 seconds, 11, like that's bananas. There's no way the average, like, email that is written takes 11 seconds to be read because that's like 25 words. I know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we're not looking at it from, we're thinking as we write our email, we're very in our own heads and we're thinking, oh, this person is scrutinizing like every other word They're Yeah. They must be reading for comprehension. <laughs> and the reality is they're reading for comprehension. They're skimming. They're reading for categorization. They're looking for, does this look like something I've seen before? Is this like a topic that like I care about? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, truly good outbound experience, truly good email is going to have empathy for that process. It's going to be designed around the fact that like we are getting bombarded. 
Um, so like that's, um, that is the, the core of like what I don't see in most outbound is that like level of intentionality for like, okay, now I understand here's how people are actually reading emails. Here's how I should write accordingly. Yeah, I definitely feel that uh, you, what you described in terms of looking at scanning your inbox is exactly what I do, right? You kind of scan because you come in and yeah. it's just like, boom, all this bold unread, right? Like you said, it's a big to-do list. So you're scanning through looking for the people first, then you're looking at the topics, right? The subjects. And then you're like, okay, these are the ones I got to tackle first. Mm -hmm. And all the other stuff just goes to the side. And I used to really try hard to respond to every email because being on the ops side, I know how hard our revenue teams work, right? To get these emails out. So I always like to at least say, hey, I'm not interested or I'm going to look, you know, look at this later or give some kind of re courtesy response. But to your point, we're just bombarded now with messages. Like literally, if I were to try to respond to everything, that is all I would do all day. And forget about LinkedIn. My in that inbox is like, that's, uh, <laughs> that is <Right>. a, <laughs> yeah, that's a mess that I'll never get out of. So, you know, you touched on yeah. this a, a little bit, but, uh, you know, sort of around the advice, kind of the, the things that people are doing wrong, sort of the opposite of that is the things they should be doing. Um, but are there other things that you would, um, suggest in terms, you know, to sales teams around how do they cut through the noise? You know, how do they respond? Re, um, improve their response rates? Like, are there maybe two or three tips that you would give based on sort of what you're seeing from your business perspective? Yeah, um, there's there's probably two, I'll, I'll go with three. There's three main tips that I would like touch on. Um, the first would be like simplicity. The second would be mobile formatting. And the third would be personalizing. And yeah, all three of those, seem kind of obvious but like people don't end up doing them and like they don't really like dig in so it's one of those things that i just continue to have to iterate on a daily basis um so i'll start with like simplicity because yeah. you know if i if i came to you and i was like hey do you want 30 percent more positive replies there's only one thing that you have to do mm -hmm. you, you, yeah that sounds great of course you do um you remember like 70% of cold emails are written at a 10th grade reading level. If you take that down to a fifth grade reading level, you will get a 30% plus increase in positive response rate. And that means really four things, you know, simplifying that down to a fifth grade reading level. And I've done this one-on-one -on -one with like hundreds of reps where they're like, I'm stuck. I like can't get this email simplified. Like, how do I do it? And it comes down to like four main things. One, the email's too long. Mm -hmm. So we see that reply rates like plummet after 30 seconds of reading time. And that comes out to about like 70, 75 words, I mean, depending on how fast they're reading. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, if your point is taking longer to make than 75 words, you're probably going on a bit too long mm -hmm. and you can save it potentially for a follow up or something along those lines. The second thing I see is run on sentences. And mm -hmm. um, run-on sentences are like these longer sentences. Run-on probably gives it too much credit and leniency because really like commas should be like flashing warning signals <laughs> that your writing is like for too long. Yeah. And it, it is one of those things like you're taught in school how to write in a very different way. But like you should almost be like staccato. It's like short sentences, short emails, simple emails, like 
no run on sentences. Because um, like those longer sentences, they become this like comprehension glue. Like I'm sure you've experienced where like you're scanning through an email and like all of a sudden you just like stop absorbing the information and you're not stuck in that paragraph. Yeah. And I just like stopped caring. Um, and so like those like just teaching people to like shorten those sentences up. Um, and one of the easiest ways to do that, so my third point here is like using short common words. Like um, the amount of times I've looked at a sales rep's email and it starts with the word noticed. And I'm like, okay, well, instead of using the word noticed, say saw. That's three letters versus, you know, I think seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do the math. <laughs> um, but it's also like, you know, cutting out the hope this finds you well. Um, but uh, a good example as well would be the word leverage. I see leverage all the time. Like, mm-hmm. you can leverage this, leverage that. Just use, use, right? Like, it says the same thing, and it doesn't have this, like, com- like convoluted, like, secondary meaning. It's just, like, you just used the following thing to do X, Y, Z. And I, I still understand it. My email uh, doesn't necessarily look as imposing. Um, yeah, I can sit there and read the word leverage. I can read the word use, and I still comprehend it all the same. But you get that first impression, and I'll get more into this, but you get that first impression of an email and like you see these big blocks of text and you're just like, I don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like you, using short words is like an easy way to start to get around that. Um, the other words that I always like to just like hammer home, and this is because I'm like former consultant, is like the crap phrases, like strategic insights. Yeah. The things that like, if, if you said that to like your grandmother, she would look at you like you had three eyes, like, what does that actually mean? Like no one actually gains anything from hearing the words like strategic insights, right? Or um, you're selling in like technical world, um, end-to-end, flexible solutions. Like those aren't like things that I can grasp. Whereas like, yeah, we have the following thing and like I can wrap my head around, oh, okay, this is a cybersecurity solution. Now I know what you do, I can move on. Um, So it just needs to be concrete. That's the other piece with like phrasing. And then uh, to get into that is, you know, needs to be more about you and less about me. Um, One of the things that we track in our product, started doing this recently is the ratio at which you use I phrases versus like you phrases. And worth noting like, we is not the inclusive thing that you think it is. <laughs> no one ever uses inclusive. Like it's like consulting one hundred and one. Every email is like we are going to do the following thing. It's like we is really just me, right? Um, you know, you're thinking about like how you write an email. It's like how do you channel that like Dale Carnegie energy? It's like eighty percent of this email that I'm about to send you is about you. What's on your to do list? What you're trying to get accomplished? And like there might be like one or two sentences max that state like, yeah, we do this. And, you know, if it requires like slight further translation, like here's exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but like don't send three paragraphs uh, or like a list of bullet points. I see bullet points all the time where it's like, 
Yeah. If you're using bullet points in a cold email, it's a signal that you're just like dumping all your features out and being like, yeah. which one is interesting to you? Respond. Um, so, okay. <laughs> one, <laughs> simplify. <laughs> Two, mobile is like way more important than anything that we've ever like thought. So um, your reader is eight times more likely to have that initial email open be on their mobile phone. I don't know about you, my phone is sitting like right here next to my computer. Yep. And yeah, you know, get an email, things pops up. That's where my first impression is. And so I mentioned I mentioned the 11 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. The first three of those 11 is them looking at the formatting and deciding, am I even gonna bother with this? Yeah. And so gotta maximize that white space. It's like the amount of like, the amount that like making your email pretty matters is like, I don't know. It's kind of, it feels shallow because you're saying like make it pretty, but like it matters so much because <laughs> um, you realize you just gotta like have empathy for where the other person is. Like, right? Email volume's up 16%, and they're like trying to triage all these things. It's like make it as easy as possible for them to read that information. Mm-hmm. And then my last point is personalization. So um, that means a lot of things to different folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You know, in the, the first part of that triage where they're kind of scanning through that everything else pile and they're trying to figure out like which one should I open which one should I look at that first line of personalization will like double the rate at which people like open your email because like and I hold myself to that own standard right it's like if I see less than 50% open rate on the email that I send out like I did something terribly wrong mm-hmm. because it should show Hey, I'm actually reaching out to you. Um, I'm actually like trying to have an individual conversation with you, and that will drive the rate at which they open. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to respond, but you're in the at bat. And you know, the the focus here is on how do you figure out a way to make that scale. And so, you know, the thing that I like to focus on personalization is like. One, figure out what your process is. There's certain sources of information that you're going to go to, and you're going to go to them like religiously. And so, like tools like Outreach, Sales Loft are great at like aggregating a lot of that, but we still end up with like five tabs per. Just know what your tabs are going to be mm-hmm. and like go to them in the order they give you the relevant information that you need. So, like, okay, LinkedIn's an easy one. You can just quickly go to, you can pull up the company insights page. You can go to, um, you know, there's some like particularly good like nuggets within um, like the careers page. Um, If you ever want to get a sense for like what someone's priorities are, Mm -hmm. go to the careers page, hiring for, see, um, you know, see how like the roles that they're delegating out, what their listed daily responsibilities are. Mm. You can really start to get a sense for what in the life of that individual is and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to uh, spend less time doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one piece. Yeah, I, I started mentioning the um, yeah the style of personalization um, and like trying to get into their to do list. There's this like sliver of personalization between personal info, like hey, I saw you like kayaking uh, mm-hmm. when you're kayaking the rapids of like scrum management where like you'll drive like open super personal but like it doesn't necessarily drive that response whereas if you're like super company or industry focused 
it might come across in the initial look as like a template, but when they read it, they're like, yeah, it's super relevant. And so like, that's like, I should respond. So you've got to find that in between ground, which mm -hmm. is like somewhere between almost like blend of like your experience and like, congrats on the new funding round, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just like, hey, congrats on the funding round. It's, hey, you know, you've done this with scale up startups before, you know, what's the top priority that you have as you're um, allocating this latest funding? Yeah, you know, by the way, congrats. Mm -hmm. Like that's a much more tailored specific way to say like, I get you, I get what's on your to-do list. And like actually showing them that you're trying to get to know them as opposed to you're about to just get like slapped in the face <laughs> with some pitch. <laughs> so those are my three. It's simple, mobile, and personalization. Yeah, personalize everything. Got it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Even the follow-ups too. Um, yeah. Sales up just posted a bunch of data on like every step of the cadence and like where personalization can drive the most impact. It, the worst thing that personalization can do is boost your response rate by 50%. And that's in like that follow-up after the initial email. Um, Gong just released data today on follow-up emails and like, you know, certain phrasings not to use and stuff. But one of the things that stood out was you're 15 times more likely to get a response if your follow-up email is more than four sentences long. And it's because you're actually like tailoring the follow-up email back to the original reason why you reached out. It's like, hey, you know, instead of saying like, just reaching back out, it's like, um, Hey, Rosalind, did you see my note? I thought this would be relevant because, you know, I noticed this about you. We've done this before. Yeah, think we can help. Yep. Yep. I love that. I love that. That's really, really good advice. I think there's lots and lots of tidbits in there for sure that people are going to take with them. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I, I really don't see email going away, right? I mean, if anything, we're going to continue to see even more targeted approaches, right? With more enablement, more tools, more intelligence really needed in this space. Um, what do you see sort of in terms of where the market is going? And then sort of what is your vision of how Lavender will continue to play a key role in this area? Okay. Um, there's three things you asked about the market that come to mind. One yeah. is objectivity. So the shrinking of the art of what it is to sell mm -hmm. and the growth of what it is to say like the science of selling. Mm -hmm. um, the, and that, that, that ties back to testing. Um, you know, I talk to sales leaders all the time who are like, I don't really understand how I should be testing. I don't really understand like what it is that I should be testing or like what data points should go into that test. And so you think about like the future of Lavender, we have that data. We have exactly what you need in order to test it. We also have the mechanisms in which we can provide those tests in a way that we drive actual behavior without the end recipient, like really understanding or knowing that we're doing it. So it's like, you know, say um, like subject lines, for example, there's several things that go into subject line. You have the tone of the subject line, you know, capitalization of like first words, punctuation, use of numbers, uh, sentiment, how many words there are in general, how many characters there are. You, know, you can play with all of those different factors and give recommendations to the rep as they're writing and do it in different combinations. So you can actually figure out what is the right way to approach this. What's the right way to do it? Um, 
that gets into the objectivity of coaching. So I mentioned like managers are craving this like sense of like, how do I teach people actually how to write an email? Um, Actually having an objective sense of like, hey, when you're more formal, you get more responses. Or, hey, that new person who just came in, they're writing like super quick, like one-liners and like it's crushing it. Everyone needs to like get on board and see what they're doing and like try it out for themselves. Um, and last but not least is like the, the world of messaging. It's like, you know, if there's a certain way of saying something, a certain approach to doing something that works better, showcasing actually how that comes to life. Um, we were actually just recently digging into a user's data as um, spoiler alert, we're, we're launching a new um, coaching dashboard. And so we were playing around with one of our users' data and we're trying to figure out like the why behind this data. And so we saw this increase in response rate when the user asked, uh, I think it was like 30% more questions but it didn't necessarily correlate back to another thing, which was, um, you know, these unsure tones needed to go up as well. And what it came back to was the way in which you asked the question. Mm. So instead of coming with your your CTA, your ask in this very um, confident, like, hey, I think this would help your team. Instead, what was working for this individual rep was, would this be something that you'd want to hear more about? And like understanding the nuance behind that messaging and like why it works. That's like mm-hmm. one of the things that I see as being really impactful. Um, the other piece is individualization. So not only like what personalization triggers are gonna work for, um, when I'm doing my outbound, what, what, uh, what personalization triggers are gonna work when I'm reaching out to you mm-hmm. versus you know, someone else over there in like this space at this time in this industry. And so using, um, you know, some of the things that like Facebook popularized when they were building up their ad network and applying it in the same logic and the same means to email, but making it more of an open box as opposed to a black box so that we can actually learn and like figure out how to do them better. Because, you know, one of the shortcomings of the ad platform is you don't necessarily know why what's working is working. You don't necessarily know what you need to be doing better. And so... Um, we figured out we can actually get better inputs if we teach people how to put in better inputs. Mm-hmm. And so fighting that. And then, you know, back to teaching, uh, the last area is passive action. And passive action, it sort of stems back to like the psychology product that we were building before, right? Being able to provide what you need as you need it so that you're not getting into like, Okay, this is taking me more time. Um, one of the biggest metrics that we measure ourselves at Lavender is how much time we save reps per email. Um, it's because we want to be able to just like surface what you need as you need it. And so part of this is like surfing those recommendations, as I mentioned, like, oh, you just like wrote your little personalization out, we'll like flag it, pull open a mobile preview and be like, hey, this looks terrible. Um, and like bring Right? And then show you how to fix it. The other piece of it that we're really just now like starting to scratch the surface of is actually being able to draft emails for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we've been playing around with the ability to like take some bullet points, generate emails. 
but there's no reason that you should actually have to operate out of your inbox. You should be able to operate out of your like, drafts folder where you've got like the responses pretty much ready to go. It's just a question of like, hey, actually like a couple of tweaks here, like you know, the data's missing like one little tiny bit. But like that's sort of where we see um, this world of sales tech going. And so you see it with companies like Dooley where like it's very focused around like passively like getting the information where it needs to go without the rep having to worry about it. It's all about like productivity, but on the flip side, it's all about like um, efficiency and like a truer sense of the word mm-hmm. where you're not just doing things fast, doing them at a better clip of return. Because with email, yeah, I can, with email, I can change really two main things, the rate at which people reply mm-hmm. and the output at which you generate email. And so um, you, you can't do one and like forget about the other. And so like, those are the two things that like we really focus on. Got it. Got it. Love that. Thank you. Um, so let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, in another podcast, you mentioned a mentor. And I know we talked about just a little bit before I started recording, but early in your career, and it was Dan Sully who helped you sort of look at how you approach sales differently. So can you share a little bit about that story and how did that help shape your way of thinking towards how you approach business today, if at all? Yeah, um, yeah. Dan, um, otherwise known as the Danimal back when I was working with him. Uh, <laughs> I really need to catch up with them. Um, One of the things that I think he taught me and that I kind of, I forgot and I found it again with my co-founder was this notion of like veto to veto. And yeah, Dan never described veto to veto as veto to veto, but the, the idea is like, um, veto stands for very important top officer to very important top officer. And it's, it's funny because, like, Dan would never explain it that way. He just kind of, like, lived it. And it was this confidence that, like, I wish I had had absorbed, like, way more of when I worked with him. Like, I was working at CEB. I had to, like, stop drinking coffee because, like, cold calling gave me, like, stress. And anxiety. Like, I was <laughs> But he recognized, he recognized that, like, the person on the other end is a person and they don't want this like terrible formal stodgy outreach that like everyone had been like practicing and so i i referenced with um tom i think that was the podcast i referenced with tom this like email that he sent out which like was so simple was basically like you know your colleagues are like singing your praises you're clearly doing something right would love to just chat and it said nothing about the company, said nothing about the product, which at the time was like heresy. Um, and like he was booking meetings left and right with this like simple little trick. And I was like, huh. And yeah, he was doing like the little short like follow ups before they were things. And it, yeah, it was just that like level of uh, swagger that like I, I wish I had absorbed more of when I worked with them. Um, but it, that would be like, the top thing that I wish I had like taken um, at the time and like absorbed sooner and I've like refound it later in life, um, which is this notion, just like everybody's a person on the other end of the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
I think people forget that, right? There were all people, if anything, I think maybe with last year, you know, with 2020, um, you know, some of those challenges have really yeah. helped people realize, right? It is a human on the other end because now it's really humanized all of us when we're all working out of our homes and people see our families. Like we were talking about my dog, who of course made an appearance I, like I knew she would. Um, okay. So I think that's amazing. Um, so when I think about, you know, this podcast, right, the Revenue Engine, I always hope that others will be able to really learn something to really help accelerate revenue growth. And I think a lot of the things that you've shared have been amazing, just really good insights and tips and really tactical things that people can actually go away and do. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, like, what do you think are sort of like, are there top kind of maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should be thinking about today to really help drive revenue growth? Yeah. And it's funny. I'm going to like take off the, the lavender hat because revenue is not only emails. And, you know, I, I will say, um, Revenue is partially emails and all of these different outbound channels like feed into one another. So like, you know, the fact that you called, the fact that you reached out via LinkedIn, all those things like feed back into one another, but taking off my lavender hat and <laughs> putting down the, the notion of like everything. Um, yeah. And putting back on like the business hat, you know, number one thing that comes to my mind is like data across the organization can be really impactful to learning how to grow and yes. figuring things out. Um, one of the things that like always stands out to me is the notion of absorbing the information that comes in from inbound leads. And you know, some of the time, inbound leads look nothing like your usual ICP. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, you think about an organization like you've got to find new markets, you've got to go after new areas. And like looking at those inbound leads, understanding what it was that got them in the door. Um, not just like what are they interested in, but like what ad did they come from? Like what was the original like trigger that got them excited about what you do? Because, you know, say you've got all of a sudden like a new market emerging out of like um, professional services on an example. Um, you know, what was it that got them so excited? Like, you know, what was it that, is interesting to them so that when you start to build out an outbound motion for that area, for that space, you can actually do it from an informed lens. Same thing comes from like customer support calls, right? Like, um, you know, I always talk about like, if we're building out a SDR organization within Lavender, it is not just an outbound organization, it is a product organization mm -hmm. because you better believe like, we're gonna have a product manager like sitting behind like a team of SDRs being like, why'd you do that? What 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 is that? Why why are you like why are you approaching it that way? What's what's your thinking there? Right? And it's these like silos. That's where like we get trapped and it's like, I don't really know what to do. But the answer is usually sitting somewhere within the data within your organization. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing would be just and it's kind of touched on the last one, but using your customer's language, but not using your customer's jargon. Mm -hmm. uh, I see so often, particularly with sales reps, um, but with sales leaders as well, where like they want to like act like they're talking the language, talk the talk of like their customers, but they start like just throwing out buzzwords. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, especially in like the cyberspace where like, you've got like these non-technical individuals talking to technical individuals 
and like the technical person knows that like you're not technical it's okay like <laughs> no one's judging you right the the key is that like you understand them and that you're like trying to like be thoughtful in your outreach um and so like part of that gets back to like this complexity and like simplicity bit that i've been talking about but um you know using their language but not their jargon would be the other piece and then uh last bit for revenue leaders would be um just putting that ever like that extra little bit of intentionality at every touch point across the customer life cycle um you know i talk a lot about cold email one of the things that i wish i like talked more about is like sales hygiene like Mm -hmm. Okay, we have a meeting today. I'm gonna to send you the agenda beforehand. Okay, we had the call. I'm gonna send you the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gong's actually done some research around email velocity and showcasing that it like correlates with deals closing mm-hmm. for the win category, not like a lot. Um, you think about like, okay, what can I be doing across my organization? It's like that intentional notion of just like sending the email. Do you realize that like, they're getting triage, like they're triaging their inbox. They're all over the place. They've got all these things going on. Just like putting that extra little bit of effort in to like yeah. put it in writing and put it in front of them and like keep reminding them. Um, that would be, that's like one example of like how you'd be intentional, but like it's probably a, a good one for sales leaders in particular. Got it. That's great. That is really great advice. I love that. Um, so, I guess, you know, before I let you go, because I think, you know, I always ask these two questions. So um, I always love to know two things. So one, what is the one thing about Will that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Okay. Um, The one thing that I think people would be really surprised to learn is that I actually love doing one-on-one coaching for like email writing. Like I, I threw out a Calendly one time just being like, yeah, let's see like what happens. Um, basically like an experiment just to see like if people would even like pick me up on it. Hundreds of one-on-one coaching sessions later, um, some fantastic product ideas that have come out of it. Like that IDU ratio came out of that. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's so much fun. I get to like build out relationships with people who are actually like in the trenches selling. Um, But I also get to like learn what people are actually dealing with. You know, so much of what we do is um, you think about like building an email tool. I've already talked about how much it's triage, right? It's a sensitive place. You really have to get your customers and beat them now. And so, like, I geek out on these calls, and I'm, like, asking all those, like, intricate like, what, what's your thing? Why, why would you write it that way? Um, <laughs> it's, like, you know, trying to figure out, like, how to actually like, teach them and um, do it in a way that, like, helps them do it better the next time as opposed to, um, as opposed to um, you know, having to come back and ask for more help. Uh, you had another question, but that was like the one that I was like. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the one thing? Yeah. What is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? And maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. What is the one thing that I want everyone to know about me? <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see. Um, 
let's see. I, it might be the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I might be I might be stuck on the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say cuz that's for, I think that's really important for people to know. I mean, I think that your passion yeah. for it definitely, you know, is it's very um it you can feel the passion, right, that you have. It's very apparent that you have a passion for this and I think, you know, it definitely will show in your business, it'll show in your product and you know, I'm super excited to see what's next for lavender cuz I mean this market is just huge and everything that you've said is just like really demonstrates just all of the passion and the power and the knowledge, you know, expertise behind what you're doing. So I'm super impressed and just really excited to see what's next. Um so thank you so much for joining me. You know, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we're finally able to connect and love just kind of learning more about you. And I can't wait to share your story with everybody. Hey, thank you so much. This is a blast. Um, thanks. <laughs>